92.2% of executives believe that they're not leveraging this, what was invested because of cultural issues. It's not technology. It's a real interesting article in Forbes. It's actually issues that are cultural and barriers to adoption. When I think about executive buy-in on the top, it opens doors in a huge way. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Dedicated On Air, where we bring together data experts to share their journey and impart their knowledge. This is Kate Strashny, the founder of Dedicated and the host of Dedicated On Air. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dedicated Show. Today, we're going to talk about taking a journey to data enablement in Fortune 500 companies. We have special guests with us, David Sweenor from Altrix and Jeff Neiman from McDonald's. Really, really excited to have both of these amazing guests on the show. We are going to talk about the journey that McDonald's has gone through, as well as Jeff's extensive experience with Ford and some uh, some other companies across the way. So can't wait to hear all those insights. I'm going to go ahead and bring up both of our guests here. Hello, Jeff. Hello, David. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Happy morning to you. Yes, Happy thanks for morning. having us. Yes. Super excited about this. Me Absolutely. too. As we get started, I think it's great to start with introductions. So I'm going to have Jeff Neiman go first. If you don't mind, let the audience know a little bit about yourself, and then we'll do that with David as well. Sure. Happy to do that. Thank you, Kate. My name is Jeff Neiman. I am the Director of Data Enablement at McDonald's. What that means is a fancy way of saying that it is my responsibility to help the markets use the core data in building their own analytic solutions. We'll talk, I'm sure, a lot about that. Prior to that, I led a data science team at Ford Motor Company. I also led in business intelligence at Cisco Systems. Proud graduate of the University of Michigan College of Engineering, Go Blue. And my master's is from City University of New York, where I also teach as adjunct faculty in the uh, data science area. So glad to be here, Kate. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Go Blue. All right, David. There we go. Let's hear from you. All right. Well, perfect. Uh, my name is uh, David Sweeter. I'm the Senior Director of Product and Solution Marketing at Altrix. I am dialing in from the Green Mountain State today. For those of you who don't know where that is, that is the land of Ben & Jerry's, Bernie Sanders, maple syrup, and strong beer. Uh, I've been in analytics for my entire career, first as a data scientist in high-tech manufacturing. Then I went into data warehousing. I ended up in an analytics COE. Then I went to the dark side of marketing. So I am looking forward to the show today. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. And as people are joining, I do want them to type in hashtag Altrix for the giveaway. And if you could just let the audience know a little bit more about what we're giving away today. Sure. We have a, a great um, book, a nice physical book. It's called Automating Analytics uh, my, uh, by myself and uh, my coworker, Melissa Burroughs. And it really, it talks about the human centered approach to analytics. You know, people think that robots are, are going to take over the world, but really it's the human is at the center of this. And the great thing about this, there's over 20 different case studies in this book from all over the world, uh, about 50% in um, US and, you know, 50% in uh, EMEA and uh, Asia Pacific. So, you know, it's, it's well-rounded and it's just practical advice about how people uh, automate analytics. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for generously giving away two of those books for our session. 
A quick reminder that we are taking questions from the audience. I see Ravit's already asking Jeff if you can tell us the secret of McDonald's fries. <laughs> well, there are some things I told Kate when I took this gig. There are some things I will not disclose, but they are the best fries in the world. By far my favorite thing. Yes, yes. So we we can't disclose that, Ravit. But if you've got data questions, definitely put those in the comments. So I think a good place for us to start is, you know, we have McDonald's and we have Alteryx, which two amazing companies. I think it's good to set the stage of how do you guys know each other? How do you work together? You want me to go, go ahead, Jeff? Yeah, sure. go ahead. You're the star. You know, when I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the published author of Pilot with a cool book oh, there. But uh, hey, yeah, I led in the business intelligence space for years at Cisco Systems. And we would do SQL queries, stuff these things into Excel workbooks and try to create good answers to questions that we needed to figure out for our business there and operations at Cisco. When I got into data science and I switched to Ford Motor Company, I remember my first day they introduced me to this tool called Altrix. And I went, what is this magical thing? How does this work? And I was fascinated because I'm like, oh my goodness, I spent all these years filling with SQL and Excel and all these kind of things. And I can simply drag and drop these things along the way. And that was my first exposure to the power of an automated tool or a way that you can do that along the way. When I was at Ford, we actually built up one of the largest Altrix platforms in the world. We ran half a million workflows every month under my team's leadership and with our IT partners. And moving into McDonald's was pleased to see that among other many other great companies, I don't want to shaft anybody who are our partners, but Altrix being one of them, and uh, delighted to continue to work in that space. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And David, sure. Jeff called it a magical thing. What do you think about that? <laughs> it is quite magical. You know, you can tell by my lack of hair that I've used a lot of different uh, analytics tools and worked for a lot of different vendors out there. And, you know, the very unique thing about Alteryx is it's probably have has the most approachable analytics software out on the planet. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of tools that are de designed for experts, uh, this is really intentionally designed for non-experts. And uh, if you look, just take a look at our, our community that we have, it's pretty robust. There's over 300,000 active members of our user community. So I like to say, you know, over a quarter of a million people can't be wrong. And it's that approachability of the software that that's quite unique. Yeah, absolutely. And just a quick comment on the hair. I have used analytics tools, I promise. This is <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> All right, so Lisa's just uh, being funny, saying Alteryx is the actual secret sauce. So I guess oh, this is funny. We're going to get McDonald's jokes oh. all day here, Kate. I oh, yeah, see definitely. Going. Yeah. There's much more to the secret sauce than just that. You know, yes, The McDonald's jokes yeah. keep on coming. So Scott, yeah. you know, you know my you first job was at McDonald's when I was 16. I'm just going to say. Was it so really? Yes, it was. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, my God. We should do a whole segment on just that. So you, what was the job? What were you doing? I did everything. I worked up front, cashier. Hi, welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order, please? Drive through, cooked, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I was one of the original employees of the little old McDonald's in Lambertville, Michigan. So there you go. I waited three hours in line to get that first job. That wasn't in your bio, Jeff. I wish that was in your bio. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good resume builder. That's it. Yeah, my kids tease me about coming full circle. Wow, that's actually really cool. All right. So we're here to talk about data and analytics. And I think a good question to start with is why is this so important to companies? Especially, let's think about the big companies like McDonald's. Why is this so important? Yeah, you know, when you think about a large company like us, a Fortune 500 company, there's a lot of complexity. 
And there's a lot of opportunity to gain extra value. And so when I think about data and analytics, I really think about the fact that I need to know what happened, I need to know why it happened, and then I need to know what will happen so that I can predict and move toward it. And if I get really good, if I do these things, what should happen? Then I have the ability to kind of direct our future. When I think about some of the things we do in the area of analytics, we need to predict our supply chain at McDonald's. You wouldn't think about that because we're not like it was at Ford with the automotive, but we have a supply chain. We have all over the world a huge network of local suppliers that help us with that. We need to understand and forecast what that's going to be like. Obviously, pricing, if we charge X, what will that do in terms of uh, driving sales and increase? And many of you may have seen the McDonald's app that we've brought out and uh, gives you the chance to go and uh, online order and get some deals, things like that. So all of this is the future that we have to both measure what's happening, but then how can we drive it to a more successful place as a company? And that all sounds extremely complex. It is in some (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you think about the fact that nearly 1% of the world's population dines at a McDonald's every day. Yeah. Just think about for a second the scope. We're in 120 markets. We're all over the world. And each market is distinct. We're like a federation of different countries. McDonald's in Germany is of a different kind than McDonald's in the U.S. or Canada or Australia and so on. And so each is very cultural to its own place and is part of that own culture and their own community. So there is a lot of complexity, although at the end of the day, numbers are numbers. And so no matter how the scale is, you know, there are certain things you got to track and certain things that you want to help drive toward. Right. Absolutely. We had a comment here coming from Pierre um, saying that he likes that you mentioned how Ford relied on half a million workflows. Vehicle manufacturing is complex, being more complex with the transition to electric. So I guess... That's a great comment. But my question here is, what would you say is more complex, the data at Ford or McDonald's? Ford. I mean, (laughs) absolutely. For the very reason you're dealing with, I mean, you think about that where we're going, not just electric vehicles, but when you deal with the whole idea of autonomous vehicles or even, let's go even simpler. Yeah. You know, the amount of data you can collect every second out of a moving vehicle is incredibly complex. And so... That's not to denigrate anything that we're doing at McDonald's. It's a wonderful thing. We need to understand, we're in the people business at McDonald's. So we need to understand what makes people tick. And that in many ways is more complex than the most complex machine because human beings are very, very complex creations. And so I think there's a little nuance to each one. Mm -hmm. The the sheer volume of data though that can come in for it is unbelievable with, with where we are with automotive. Yeah, end of the day, I guess it is all about the people. We, we do have a question here specifically on people that just came in from Christiane and she's asking, what does your team structure look like? And another thing is, what do you actually look for people that are joining your team? That's a great question. Christiane, you looking? Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. We're always uh, looking for the right person on, on, on that one. So what I look for in the area of enablement, it's kind of a different space. Yes. And we could talk a little bit about what that means in a few moments, I'm sure. But Yes, you need to have some technical expertise. You need to understand core data science products, how to, you know, principles and so on. What is its essence is enablement. I want to help other people be able to use this stuff. I want to help other people have the capability to build an analytic, to consume data, to do these things. So I've got to have the ability to listen. Mm -hmm. I need to have very good people skills. And so what I look for on my team 
are people that are good with other people, people that understand the, the data science and the technology, but also then people that will lead because it's a complex space. We are in literally, like I said, 67, 68 million people every day. And so I need to have that ability to represent and understand that through those kinds of soft skills, as well right. as that technical background. Yeah, you know, Jeff, I, I would just, you know, add to that, you know, some, you know, we have a lot of uh, a fair number of data scientists here at Alteryx. And, you know, one of the things that keeps coming back is that creativity and curiosity is, is yeah. I think, paramount to the job as well, you know, because we always want to push the envelope in terms of uh, innovation for the company and that having that drive and that curiosity is, is quite important. Totally agree. And how do you measure something like that? If we stay on the question for a little bit. So you're you're interviewing a person for now, because soon it'll be robots, right? So you're interviewing a person. <laughs> how do you know how creative they are? I mean, is it if they if they put pretty flowers on the resume, how, how does creativity come through during this process? It's in some of the interview questions. You can bring it out. Like a lot of times I'll ask them to demonstrate how they would solve a situation. I remember in one of my previous employees, I'll keep it vague, employers, I'll keep it vague. We actually would tell people, you're in a building. I want you to take 10 minutes and calculate the weight of the building around you and then explain to me how you did it. That was a fun question because there was no right or wrong answer. Who knows what the building actually weighed? Yeah. But how that person attacked that problem really gave me insight into the creativity because that's what I'm most interested in yeah. is I'm going to assume I can test and pre-test before you ever come to the interview your technical knowledge. But man, I want to understand how you apply that and that creativity that David mentioned. Love Boy, it. Jeff, I don't think I want to interview with you. I have a nightmare. How many golf balls does it take to fill the Mississippi River? I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know. You know, I recently asked a question as a LinkedIn poll of how many, if you think there are more wheels or doors in the world. Oh, I saw that. Ooh. Yeah, this is something I think it was started on Twitter or TikTok or somewhere, but I brought it over to LinkedIn. It was very fun to see the logic that people bring to doors. And yeah, so questions like that, I guess, are, are a good way to get to the bottom of if this person is creative or not. Moving on to one of my favorite topics, data literacy. So a question here from Valerie. She's asking if you can share how McDonald's looks at fostering data literacy, especially for frontline employees in the restaurant, since you used to be one, actually. Wow. So that's a great question. And I'm going to answer it a couple of different ways because I want to explain first a unique aspect to McDonald's structure. We have what we call three legs of a stool, and each of them are distinct. And the three legs are the corporate, McDonald's corporate, based in Chicago. We have the suppliers, which I mentioned a little bit ago, and those are all independently owned and operated under McDonald's standards, of course, but they're independently owned and operated. We have our owner operators. We're a franchise business. And mm -hmm. so in many ways, I live in Dundee, Michigan. The McDonald's up the street here is owned by a company, by a person who is a company of 15, 18 restaurants or whatever he has. And uh, that's its own unique company, right? And so when you think about that, each of them have their own place to play. So it's more incumbent on each company to work on their own employees because they're employees of themselves. However, we want to create a structure globally on a corporate level to help people increase their literacy. And I think that really starts with where people are. Mm -hmm. And we have built a number of different ways where we start with kind of cookies on the bottom shelves to help people take that next step. It could be through a boot camp that we run that's very interactive and very engaging. It could be through an analytics academy we're putting together. Or could be through just simply coming to a session, a seminar on something 
and beginning to help take those next step forward. And are you seeing interest from frontline employees? Do they want to become more data literate? I had a conversation a couple of months ago with one of our owner operators, and he begged me to come up with a strategy to come in to play to help the owner operators and start on that basic level in the area of data literacy to take those next steps. It's something we're exploring and uh, we're still kind of young in our journey at McDonald's uh, and coming along the way. Yeah. And I think before I ask my next question from the audience, I think it would be great to level set and tell the audience where is McDonald's in that journey of data analytics maturity? Yeah, I'd say we're pretty young. One of the things that's true of McDonald's is that we've done pretty well over the years and uh, there's good reasons for it. Our leadership has done a fantastic job in setting a direction and creating a model that works. And we are very intentional about creating great products that people want to buy. And so we've done really well. As a result, in many ways, we are on the lower end of where I would call analytics maturity. Areas like retail, areas like automotive, we were forced to innovate because of the need of the complexity of the markets and the, and the, uh, and the, where we stood in those markets. And so one of the great things, and I'll give our leadership 100% great credit on this, is they realize that we've got to adapt. We always need to be adapting and learning and growing. And so we have put together, I think, a very state-of-the-art process and program in the area of data and analytics. My boss is the chief data officer, Craig Brabick, has done a fantastic job of how he's approached the problem and the caliber of talent that we're attracting to this, because We have so much we can learn and so much we can grow and develop in. And I would say we're probably about a year and a half, two years into that journey. It's still pretty new in terms Mm -hmm. of a dedicated approach toward data and analytics. And does it make it more difficult, the fact that I'm going back to your description of the three-legged stool of uh, corporate suppliers and operators, does that make it more difficult for data transparency? Can Is there a central location where all this data is sort of flowing to? I think the answer is it is more complex. And there are certain things that I should not be privy to, even though I'm a data scientist, because if, Kate, you're one of our franchisees and you own your own company, there are certain parts of your company that is your business. You know, who your employees are, that's HR data. That's Those are your people. Those are not McDonald's corporate people. Now, there's a partnership, obviously, in there. Now, there are other things, though, that is all of our interest, things like sales and how many burgers you sell and those kind of things that are very much involved as we partner together. So it's just one of the things I've realized coming from, realize I worked in tech in Silicon Valley company, Cisco. I worked in manufacturing, old school, top of the line company like Ford. And now I'm in what they call the QSR business, quick service restaurant business. Very innovative, very fun, very people focused kind of a business. And so it represents a different kind of challenge than we had where you had a central company like a Ford or Cisco that owned all of that data and all of that business. There are certain parts of your business, if you're my franchisee, that are rightly yours. And so all we can do is provide tools and resources to help you in that journey. Yeah, you know, Jeff, that's interesting because, you know, my background is in high-tech manufacturing. So semiconductors, you know, maybe arguably probably some of the most complex uh, supply chain and manufacturing environments in the world, you know, all sorts of data probably similar to Ford, but so I've been had a lot of experience in the industrial space, but, you know, coming to Alteryx, the mission of Alteryx is is very, very different than a lot of these previous companies I've worked for. And the mission is quite simple. It's to empower every person in the entire world, be able to use data and analytics to achieve what we call a breakthrough moment in their business. And 
I think that's just fascinating. It's, you know, other companies I've, I've worked for are like, hey, we can solve the world's toughest problems. There's certainly a market for that. But this this notion that the human is at the core of everything we do yeah. is quite intriguing to me. And, you know, just a little story. When I started at Alteryx, uh, been uh, just over a year now, someone said, David, Alteryx changed my life. I'm like, what do you mean? It's software. I mean, I've used all the software. No, it's changed my life. You don't understand. And to get to the bottom of it, this lady I was talking with, she was getting data from all these systems. They were in PDF files. They were shipping invoices. They were spreadsheets and cutting and pasting these things from system A to system B all day long. And by automating that with Alteryx, she's got seven hours and 58 minutes left in her day to be innovative for her company. And it's, you know, people like, I'm like, hey, you're getting a extracting stuff from images. That's AI. Oh, it's AI. I didn't know I was doing AI. So there's a lot of uh, misnomers out there. But, you know, I think this is people that know the business. They know how to solve problems. They just need to have the tooling and some education and little activation energy to take that leap. And once once they get going, there's there's really no stopping them because there's lots of little problems in the business that a sort of a centralized team will will never get to. And that's what we call democratization of analytics, you know, like yeah. empower everybody across the organization to be able to use data and analytics. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I definitely want to get into data democratization. But first, there's a question from Martin. Exactly what you're saying. Like, if you want to change other people's lives, is there an alternative course or book or a resource that you can point to for people who are not Sheldon Cooper? <laughs> Our community has a, a plenty of free training that is available. There's other third-party companies that have snackable bite-sized training. And um, there are a few books uh, that are currently in the works uh, that are being written uh, through O'Reilly on the sort of definitive guide to Alteryx. So uh, stay mm-hmm. tuned coming. I believe Josh Burkow has uh, some some early chapters out already. So, you know, get your hands on those if you can. Awesome. Thank you. We were talking about data democratization, David. So I do want to sort of go back to that and talk about, well, why is this important? And how does this relate to the concept of data literacy? When I think about democratization, I think there's kind of a history, right? There's three words that I've seen batted around. Citizen data scientist, democratization, and now enablement. And when I think about citizen data scientists, that just sounds, you know, citizens, come join us in the land of data science. And it just sounds so formal and almost foreboding. But I, I remember when that was, a, a you know, a big word, come citizens and join us, you know. And then the word democratization became really big. And democratization it literally means, as, as David said, empowering people. It comes from two Greek words, demos and kratis, which means people and empowering and it has that sense but i always discovered that in the area of democratization people go like what are you like a political science or you know make the world safe for democracy or you know it it gets a little confused a little bit on the vocabulary but it literally does mean empowering people i think the word that i've seen pop up more and more and where we now sit is the idea of enablement Mm -hmm. and i like the word enablement because it basically says where are you let me help you take that next step Mm-hmm. So for you, maybe you're living in the world of Excel, and I need to help you get a little better at that and eventually automate it through a tool like Altrix or Data IQ or something like that, that that would help you be able to do that. You know, whatever your next step is, or maybe your next step might be a visualization and you need to kind of, let's take that next step. Or maybe I just need to understand something. And this is where I think it fits neatly with data literacy in parallel. I think both happen together because I could sit there and say, data literacy, what do you need to know? I need to know the difference between a mean and a median. Mm-hmm. Okay, basic stats 101. 
When do you use it? Wait, I'm building this dashboard now, and I have this weird outlier that's pulling my mean all the way over here. Data literacy now tells me I should take the median if I want to know where I am in the middle. That's kind of stats 101. But until I see, when all of a sudden I see that outlier way out here on the edge, skewing my data so my mean's here, my median's here, which one makes the most logical sense? This is why I think they all work hand in hand, because yeah, I can teach you the difference, but until you actually have to use it, yeah. it's probably going to go blah, 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 like the Charlie Brown teacher, want, 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 you know, noise. <laughs> in and out, because I want to help you take that next step. And that's why I love that word enablement. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, Jeff, you know, that, you know, I call it like applied analytics, you know, if I was to have a term for it, you know, like the, the computer technology, the computer will do all the math for you these days. But uh, I have flashbacks to um, my background as a physics major, and I would do pages of integration by hand you know, filling up pages. And I would get to the end of this and be like, zero equals zero. I don't know what that <laughs> was like a Zen moment. What does zero equals zero mean? I, I don't know. You know, one doesn't equal zero. So that it was good to get that, but it had no meaning to me. So I think this, the application of analytics, you know, when you do a mean or a median or what problems are good for like decision trees versus neural networks or right. what have you, I think are really key to sort of analytics and data literacy. And, you know, when we look at it, you know, I like your term enablement. We look at that sort of in three vectors, you know, is your organization readiness? So does your organization sort of have the right funding and and executive buy-in enablement? That might be like the tooling and training for the people and then engagement, you know, is the whole organization engaged in this process? And so those are the sort of the three vectors that, you know, we look at sort of improving analytics literacy across a, a company. How would you differentiate between readiness and engagement? Tooling so, is pretty straightforward. So. Yeah, so, so readiness is, do you have executive buy-in and sponsorship? Mm. Do you have the right funding and resources? Do you have a, you know, a, a support system in place? And you know, I would say an engagement, flashback to earlier in my career, um, you know, I was out of college in, in the semiconductor space, and I showed somebody a principal component analysis, and they're like, I don't understand it. I don't know what it means. I'm going with my gut. So is there, are we ready to use data and analytics? Do we trust the data to make decisions? Can we trust the math and, and things like that? But, you know, I think your, your business has to be ready to make a change because I've seen too many uh, projects where we have great insights, but they're never operationalized or actualized. So, you know, I always go back to, you know, if I have these insights and my business doesn't change its behavior as a mm -hmm. result of an analytics, then what's the point? I think we're wasting our time. So your analytics has to physically, your business has to change, you know, based on the, the these results that that are, are coming forward. Yeah. And talking about readiness, I'd love to hear from both of you and your experience. How do you actually get executive buy-in? So if the leaders don't think this is important, if they are, they want to rely on their gut instinct, what do you do? How do you convince them? So I think the first are some simple facts and and I will echo with what David said. I'll tell you a story in a minute, actually, about the importance of executive buy-in and uh, from the top down. But a simple fact is, according to IDC, companies worldwide spent $215 billion on big data or data and analytics. Now, think about that. That's a lot of money to be invested. And yet, according to Forbes magazine, a study was done of CEOs and of leaders in across all these companies. And according to Forbes, make sure I get this right. 92.2% of executives believe that they're not leveraging this, what was invested, 
because of cultural issues. It's not technology. It's a real interesting article in Forbes. It's actually issues that are cultural and barriers to adoption. When I think about executive buy-in on the top, it opens doors in a huge way. With one of my previous companies, there were a group of people that were very excited to bring in data analytics into one of the subsidiaries in their country. And I said, okay, I'm willing to come down. We'll do some training. We'll introduce some things. We'll do these kinds of things for you, but help me meet your CEO. I went down there, flew down there with my team. We did this training and I met with the CEO and he kind of looks at me in mid-sentence as I'm explaining this and he turns to all of his direct reports and he goes, I want this data democratization. I want this data enablement. I want this done. And they all sat there and went, okay. And we saw after that, within the first year, built not by data scientists, not by professionals, just people in finance, people in HR, people in manufacturing and so on. They built 96 production solutions the first year. They began, they translated the materials that we created into the local language. They began to teach it all over. And one of their managers brought me 10 of their new hires who showed me all of their products, projects that they were working on, starting with problem formulation, which is how I start every project. What problem are you trying to solve? I mean, I was between crying and bursting with joy just to see how this had gone from person to person to person. But it started with that buy-in at the top. When the CEO said, this is what we're doing, it just opened up a zillion doors for us to to do it. So alignment is really helpful. It's not the only way you can make change, obviously, but it sure helps. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And David, I also want to hear what you've seen and maybe also touch on ROI. How do we actually show ROI? So I know, uh, Jeff, you mentioned the 96 or so projects or that were established after that alignment took place. But how do we actually look at ROI for something like that? One of the things that I've seen is there's a couple of things that an organization needs to do. Number one, when they're defining their project and their scope, they need to make sure they're attaching this to something meaningful, uh, making sure it's attached to specific business KPIs there. And it's not about just digitizing the existing process. I think organizations need to think about how can we reimagine the process and doing things differently. You know, I like to say, um, you know, transformation without analytics is just digitization. It's the analytics that make it transformative. So how can your business change as a result of analytics? In terms of like specific tactics to democratize analytics, you know, we've seen sort of these classic change management things. So, you know, we have education sessions, we do gamification. I think a community is important, snackable training, both, you know, depending on your preference, live and on demand. Uh, we see sort of a center of excellence and, you know, make sure you reward your people. So a lot of these uh, specific six tactics that we promote are we seeing uh, that being used uh, quite, quite effectively across a lot of different organizations. All right. Yeah, I think I've seen you see a lot of let's call them guesstimates of <laughs> this is worth three million dollars, you know, in uh, efficiencies and savings. And I kind of <laughs> sit there being the data person going, hmm, that's true. I don't know. And sometimes it is a. Uh, you know, what does that feel like savings? But there is something you can always, when you build an analytic or a data product or anything, there is one clear way you can measure ROI and that's usage. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. simple. It's amazing to me how basic that seems yet neglected it often is. One of the things we did when I was at Ford was we began to track usage of all of the various dashboards that were being built. Ooh, that made me both a beloved but hated person at the same time because 
people were calling me saying, you know, but but, but this is why, you know, this. And, and, and when we begin to expose the value of certain things, we, people vote with their feet <laughs> or with their clicks, really. Yeah. And it's not the only means. It could be a good reason if you have one person viewing a dashboard. You know, there could be huge ROI from that one person. And maybe it automates like the story that David told earlier about it automates someone's job and it's seven hours and 50 minutes saved, in which case that is huge value to that. Or it could be we just spend a lot of time and money on something people aren't going to use and it should be either decommissioned or should be at least explored what that barrier is to adoption or wherever this great thing that they've built. Mm. Yeah, I've seen a lot of previous companies that have been at sort of the data science team or the analytics team or what have you, they go off and build something, but they don't actually uh, involve the, the yes. business teams whose lives are going to change as yeah, a result of exactly. it. Exactly. Like, we're changing like, your lives, but we're not going to tell you how. From, we come down from on high and like, boo, here's the solution. And you're like, well, I think what yeah. I'm doing is working pretty good. So it never gets adopted. And, you know, they're making sure to involve the people whose, whose lives are going to be changed because they, they know better than you do. Um, and the impacts of that is is, is is really, really important for any business. Totally. Yeah. And Jeff, were there was there anything surprising when you were looking at the usage of all these dashboards? Yeah. Actually, what surprised me, one of the surprises for me was uh, some of the most popular dashboards were not built by data scientists. Hmm. But think about why. Because what is data science at its core? Data science is the intersection between domain expertise and coding or computer science and mathematics, your statistics, your modeling, that kind of stuff. Well, what is the one thing that as a data scientist, and I will say about myself, that I can sometimes miss, that domain expertise. domain, yeah. (laughs) I have to, and like David said, you have to take that time to listen, to engage along the way. And I think it could be showing that a data science org may may have not as good a a job of understanding the needs of 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 the actual people consuming these things. Whereas a domain expertise, the person comes in as a domain expert, he or she knows that space. If we can help them learn some of the, the coding part and the math part or use tools to shrink what they need, then that's a powerful, powerful thing. And that's why I think that was, I kind of suspected it, but mm-hmm. it was telling when you actually saw it in, in real life numbers because numbers are not emotional. They just kind of say the facts. Here it is. Yeah. And it, it's definitely a very useful exercise. Back when I used to build dashboards for a large company, there were, there were a lot of surprising factors where you end up seeing that the dashboards that you built for team A were actually being used by team B, where you didn't even build it for them. Had you known they were going to use it, you would have done it a little bit differently. So I think it's definitely a worthwhile exercise to see if what you've built is actually being used and by the right people. We have a question here from Jessica, and she's asking, what was the biggest discovery that was made possible by data that changed something in the McDonald's way? Biggest discovery that changed something in the McDonald's way? I think, wow, there's so many different different <laughs> things that they're on the motion. I mean, things around supply chain, things around customer satisfaction, things around understanding time of day when certain things are true. I remember I was meeting with a marketing director in one of our countries, I'm not, uh, the, the head of the, that particular country, and she told me she wants to get, this is a future state, but I think it's indicative of where we need to go. Yeah. She said she would like to be able to drive through and drive by on a Saturday, any of the McDonald's in the capital city of this country or anywhere across the country, and see 12, 12 cars in the drive through line and understand why. Is it because somebody didn't show up for work? Is it because 
there was a higher than expected demand today? Is mm-hmm. it because there, we're just being less efficient that day? What is the exact cause? And I think that's where we're heading in the ability to, to be able to tell that story right away that the head of an entire country could go and understand that like that. We're not mm-hmm. there yet, but we're moving in that direction. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be very powerful. I, I do have these cool predictions for where we're going to be 10 years from now with data. Mm-hmm. And they all sound so good. I mean, they're, if you think about it from a negative perspective, they could be terrible as well of how we can use data in the wrong hands. Um, but used properly could be very powerful. There was another question here in terms of how McDonald's uses data. What data tools analytics will McDonald's use to measure success from one franchise to another, leveraging those data findings to bolster success of less successful franchisees? We use a variety of different tools. As mentioned, we use Altrix. We're exploring Data IQ. We've used Tableau. We use Power BI. We use Databricks. That's some of our stack along the way. There's no, you know, none of that is secret. I think those are pretty common stacks in terms of companies. I think what I want to be careful in the area of comparing franchisees, just because out of respect for owner operators and their own individual businesses. So I'll kind of just kind of leave that one there along the way, because at the end of the day, if, like I said, if Kate owns her business then there are things that we can show Kate, but ultimately Kate owns her business and how Kate mm-hmm. runs her business is Kate's business. Right. <laughs> Kate, <laughs> that's, prophetic. that's prophetic right there, Jeff. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what about the, the zero equals zero in this case? Or <laughs> that's <not>? right. <laughs> oh, uh, all right, thank you for that, Jeff. Valerie had a comment for, I guess, where you said there were 12 cars in the drive-thru. Is it because a school football practice just got out and... That's actually one of the things that we have to think about. And and actually, our owner-operators do a good job of understanding their communities. Mm -hmm. But we have actually looked at, is there a way to even understand, like, if I'm in either I-94 or US-23, if you know the state of Michigan, and I'm in Ann Arbor, and you're on a certain Saturday in the fall, where 110,000 people are filling the stands in there, and then they're all going back to Metro Detroit or back south toward Toledo, or they're going west toward Grand Rapids or wherever they're going back after that game. What's going to happen to every one of those restaurants on those highways? Even though you could be an hour from Ann Arbor, you could be affected by the end of a football game. And so you have to kind of understand your own local world and understand what huge things kind of impact around that along the way. And that's where we, I think it's important. Whereas it's harder to plan that centrally, whereas a local owner operator can know his or her community, like when not even a big U of M game, but a, you know, or Ohio State game or whatever, but it could just be a simple high school football game that lets out in your little town. And there's a thousand people all converging and there's one or two restaurants in town and guess where they're going to go. Oh yeah. I've I've been there running marathons and Spartan races. You just know once you're done with it and you want to go eat somewhere, you don't simply go to the nearest restaurant. Chances are they're going to be packed. And I guess that's some external data that companies need to rely on to track when they're going to get more inflow. David, question for you. What is the title of the book? Show us the book again, please. uh, Automating Analytics, a human-centered approach to transformative business outcomes. Awesome. So you, it is, um, if you don't win, we do have an e-copy on uh, the Alteryx website and you can uh, direct uh, IM me or hit me up on LinkedIn and send you URL. Okay, perfect. I do want to, as we wrap up, talk about recommendations that you both have for people or organizations that are tuning in that want to either start their own journey, starting from where they currently are in the analytics maturity scale. What recommendations, what advice do you have for them? 
Wow. I think depending on where you are, I think the first thing I would recommend is assess where you actually are. There are a number of good organizations with that set up non-competes that help you benchmark like uh, the, what is it, IAA? And there are others that will help with that. But under, I think people need to actually understand where you are before you figure out where you're going to go. And then once you can assess accurately where you are, then you go out and get that sponsorship from above. And then you start your listening and you're engaging. And then you figure out how you can go down in that journey. My team, we think about four things all the time because we think there are four keys to data enablement. One is... It's data. Can you trust your data? Is it good data? I mean, that seems obvious, data enablement, but people aren't going to adopt your data if they don't trust it. The second is process. You need to have a process in place that people can understand and follow and uh, so that they build things correctly. Third is then it's the right tools. You need to have a tool stack that helps people take that next step and make that easy for them to get at to get at. And then the fourth is the right training, that people development piece is can I take you where you are and take you to that next step? And so those are four things that my team and my org thinks about all the time. Awesome. Love it. Thank you, Jeff. Mm -hmm. David, any advice on how companies can get started? And we can focus in on Alteryx specifically if you'd like here. Yeah. Um, you know, I echo a lot of the things Jeff said. You know, I think understand where you are. He mentioned that the, the International Institute for Analytics. Uh, we are actually... Um, we will have a calculator in the Alteryx website probably within the next month so people can go do a self-assessment via, you know, a couple minute quiz. And, you know, their research suggests the average is a 2.2. So don't feel bad if you have a 2. Right. That's that's the average right. score. That executive buy-in is important. You know, where do you want to start your analytics journey? What are some of the most, you know, there's really two approaches. You know, people say, okay, there's all these, these bottoms up and, and those there's certainly value in solving these. But you know, what's really going to move the needle for your company? Think about that. Make sure you follow agile practices. Don't, you know, don't do some sort of waterfall, big bang approach, you know, show incremental process. Like found this is something that, what can you accomplish in the next three, six, nine months and stage that. So you're not just waiting a year for something to happen. You know, lastly, get started. Uh, we have, <laughs> we have free trials. Don't, don't, it is approachable. Everybody that's listening here, it's within your power to make things happen. So we have uh, lots of new offerings at Alteryx for those who aren't familiar. And we have Designer, which uh, many people probably know and love. We, we've acquired Trifacta for data engineering. We have a tool called uh, Alteryx Machine Learning to help uh, non-experts build machine learning models. And we also have a product called Auto Insights, which is works alongside dashboards. So without doing anything, you load in your data. And it tells you these are what's interesting points to go look at. And you'd use that uh, in with your dashboard. So we have the community, free resources, free training, free trial, give it a whirl, just get started today. Awesome. Love it. So everybody use your free time to get the free training, the free trial, and just, just start. David, you mentioned average of 2.2. Was that just a random number or is that a 2.2 out of 10, out of 100, <laughs> out of 5? That's so they um, they used uh, Davenport's old uh, maturity model. So it's a five-point scale. So uh, just above uh, really not doing anything. So 2.2, <laughs> but that's uh, but it does vary by inter industry. Okay. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, banking, it may be a little further along versus, you know, education and healthcare are on the sort of uh, less mature. Um, but it, this will, this calculator we're building will be uh, by industry. Okay. Very interesting. I wonder where food and beverage lies. It's on the lower end. Um, yeah. It's a less yeah. mature like healthcare. Uh -huh. uh, because historically, data analytics haven't been the focus. It's been on focusing on people and customers. That's changing, though. Okay. All right. Yeah. 
Thank you. And we're getting a bunch of questions that continue to to come in, but we are at time. So at this point, I would like to wrap up and ask both David and Jeff, uh, where can people go to continue this conversation? If they do have more specific questions for you, where's the best, best place to find you? And we can start with David this time. Well, you can drive up to Vermont and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, I'm happy to continue the dialogue. Um, my email is david.sweenor at allturks.com, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, any way uh, you can, which whatever works for you. Okay, awesome. And Jeff? Yeah, LinkedIn is a great place to get in touch with me. I think that's the, the easiest format to reach out and happy to connect with uh, you know many of you as I'm sure uh, there's a lot here for this conversation. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for your time here today. And David, I, I love your product placement the whole time. You just kept with your McCafe over there. <laughs> I'm loving it. There we go. I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm loving it too. So thank you both for a great conversation. Uh, I always learn a lot from these sessions. So I really appreciate you sharing with the audience. And big thank you to the audience as well for asking really great questions and leaving great comments. I really appreciate your engagement. I will see everybody online. Have a great rest of your week. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for attending. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to the Dedicated On Air podcast. We really hope you'll come back for more episodes. And until then, stay dedicated.